Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in LA. And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. Samantha, mm-hmm. do you know what the scariest thing you've ever read is? You know what? I used to scare the hell out of myself with the scary stories in the dark. Yeah. The those cover were alone. Scary. Oh my God. I would I would yeah. read all the stories and then not sleep for days. But I yeah. loved them. Yeah. My old roommate and I, uh, Katie, she in college, we were like the sweetest, dorkiest nerds. And uh during October, we would light our little jack-o'-lantern, like the little baby one. Aww. And we would take turns reading those to each other. <laughs> oh, you read it that loud. I don't know if I can. Yeah. The imagination alone, like for me to see in my head. Because some of the uh, stories, like the ribbon around her neck story, really freaked yeah. me out. The witch stories always freaked oh, me out. The yeah. banshee. Harold. The banshee. Oh, oh, my goodness. I was, yeah, petrified. That obviously still resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And I know there was a movie. Have you seen the movie for it? I have seen the movie. Is it worth it? <laughs> uh, it depends on what your level of worth it is. <laughs> oh, I don't want it to ruin a good, great, great memory and a great book, though. Uh, I don't think it would do that, but it's definitely like I. It didn't scare me at all. Um, I was also very, very drunk, drink responsibly when I saw it in theaters, and I had to rewatch it because I was like, maybe I just wasn't. In the right place, and I was like, "No, it's still not that great." <laughs> it, the story didn't really make sense to me, um, but I mean, if it, you have the option and it's streaming anywhere, I'd say go for it. Okay. I don't think it'll ruin it for you. What is it? Something that you've read that's super scary? Um, I was very, very scared by uh, *Pet Cemetery* by Stephen King. Mm. Um, I remember reading it and just like lying awake and not really sure why I was so scared. And I think that's what he does really well. Is he just sets like a atmospheric tone and you can't really pinpoint why Mm -hmm. you're so scared. But actually the scariest thing I ever read, and this is so, so me, is a Silent Hill fan fiction. (laughs) 
<laughs> that like to this day I think of it and I just my mind is like don't even think about it. <laughs> oh don't, no. Don't. It scared me so bad. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. All right. Now I have never Silent never Hill even read a Silent Hill uh fan fiction since then. Mm-mm. Really? Yeah, it scared Dang. me. Yeah. Um have you ever written anything like horror? No. I I I am more like so my if I were to write anything, my genre would be a little more like uh, Southern Gothic, tragic mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so not necessarily scary. Oh, we are talking a lot about Gothic mm-hmm. today. I love Gothic stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah. And do um, you typically write anything scary? I know you do the really sad stuff. Yeah, that's my go-to is sad. Yeah. But um, I have written, I wrote a book called Silence. And it was, I mean, it was pretty typical. Like, it was about a, a therapist who's, like, through her sessions realizing something's very wrong in this town. <laughs> um, and then uh, recently I wrote, there's a new podcast coming out called 13 Days of Halloween. And I wrote 13 stories because I'm an overachiever or a masochist. I don't know. They only chose one. I was only supposed to do one right. and I wrote 13. I was going to say, did they say write one and then you wrote 13 and sent them all to them? <laughs> Yeah, and they were like, okay, this is great, but we have a lot of stuff to go through, so rank them. <laughs> Annie, 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 you're an editor's nightmare. I know, I know, <laughs> believe me, do I know that. Um, so look out for that. I, it should be interesting. Again, my story is called Red Velvet. Yes, Ooh. it's a good one. Um, but yeah, today we were talking about women in horror, writing horror, uh, because yes, it is October, and... Uh, I just love things that are scary, and I'm always ready to to talk about these things. <laughs> uh, and disclaimer for we're going to give a lot of examples in this episode, uh, but we have not read them all. We have not read all the examples we're going to cite, and uh, cannot speak for their depiction of women, uh, race, uh, queer, ableism, all that intersexual stuff. Um, also, we are focusing largely on horror written in the Western world, but I would absolutely love to come back and do another one um, looking at horror in different places and yeah. women writing horror. I bet it'd be so interesting the, the legends that they have and the kind of like yeah. the folklore that's behind those legends. I would love to hear about that. Me too. Because like things like and the if, gin, oh my goodness, that's scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. And if any listeners has uh, anything we should pursue in that area or any examples to to share with us, oh my gosh, please send them in. Oh yeah. And just to put this in there, we are, for our monthly reading, just to go ahead and let everybody get a heads up, reading The Bloody Chamber. Oh yes. yeah. Which is by a female horror writer. Who is it? <laughs> Angela Carter. <laughs> Thank you. I was like Alicia Watts. I don't know. Nope. <laughs> they giving our new name. Yeah, so we were reading The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter, which is an older horror story. Yeah. So if you want to pick that up and join us, just to let you know. Yeah, and it's pretty short. Um, uh, neither of us have read it before, right. so we're going to go on this journey together. <laughs> Who knows what it will be like. <laughs> it was recommended to me by, by actually past host, uh, Kristen Caroline mentioned it in one of their episodes. So I'm excited to check it out. But in the meantime, all right, let's talk about women in horror fiction and what exactly is horror fiction. It turns out that that's sort of a difficult thing to pin down. Some people say it's more of an emotion, more of a feeling than a definition. 
One of the founders of the Horror Writers Association, Robert McCammon, tried to define it in 1986, though, with this. Horror fiction can be a guide through a nightmare world entered freely and by the reader's own will. And since horror can be many, many things that go in many, many directions, that guided nightmare ride can shock, educate, illuminate, threaten, shriek, and whisper before it lets the readers loose. Well, I like that. Um, And as we've talked about time and time again, horror is often a reflection of what we fear on a societal level. And because we are so afraid of women and women's bodies, as we recently talked about, women are definitely tied to the genre. It makes sense that women authors have been pioneers in writing horror fiction. Despite this, many of the authors that get lifted up as the best in horror are, of course, men. If you look at uh, horror anthologies, out of 15 stories, maybe one to three are written by women, which is so unfortunate, if any of them are at all. Right, and I think if you asked the average person to name three authors who are writing horror, they would probably all be men. Yeah, for Um, sure. The the top ones in my head for sure come up as men. Yeah. Um, And many of the accounts of women writing in horror describe not only having difficulty getting published, but this layer of over-analysis when it comes to subtext, both from the reader and the writer. A woman can't just write horror. It has to have some hidden man-hating theme. Um, Even if that's not there, like, that's fine if it is. But uh, people just assume, and therefore it's like women's literature as opposed to horror. Um, And not only that, there's this question of what kind of woman would write horror. Women describe being judged as weird or disturbed if they were writing horror, whereas male authors would be viewed as cool or brave, like bucking the system. Um, And these judgments following them to job interviews. At least one account said she, uh, an interviewer had found that she'd written this horror story and there was definitely already this layer of, well, I don't know about this woman. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, horror stories or stories meant to bring a sense of fear have been told for as long as people have been telling stories. And those are the best stories, the ones that kind of become legends. Um, And a lot of these first horror stories weren't told for fun necessarily, but as, of course, cautionary tells, don't go alone in the dark or you might get eaten. They might also feature a creature, witches, or ghosts to explain things that people don't understand at that time. Do people understand these things at this time? Do we really understand creature, witches, or uh, monsters? No, just sort of like, you know, like (laughs) banshees, they think, was that sound coming from swamps or or maybe it was a screech owl? Yeah. But of course it's banshees. It's banshees. now... Oh, I would assume that know. too, though, to be fair. I, I do assume ghost first, almost always, always. as you know, Samantha. Uh, <laughs> I think you're correct. Uh, we're definitely haunted. Uh, these yes. stories make up a great deal of our foundational folk stories, which, again, we would love to hear the international levels because I can't imagine like how it transitions from culture to culture. And ancient Greek tales told of witches, vampires, and monsters. Yes, and so did religious texts, which we know of maybe more like demons and such. Yeah. One of my favorite things I've ever learned is that almost every uh, culture has a vampire legend and, and almost everyone, I think in everyone except for one, vampires don't like garlic. And all these stories came separately, like originated in separate places, separate times. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Horror for horrors or curiosity's sake emerged in Western literature in the 18th century with the Gothic novel. 1764 novel The Castle Otranto by Horace Walpole often gets the credit for cementing the genre's legitimacy. So maybe not the first 
book or the first short story, but the first one people were like, oh, this is a book and it deserves respect. Uh, at the same time, in France, we see the rise of Roman noir, black novels, and German shutter novels, which I love. Mm-hmm. And women have been writing horror since the very beginning, but they haven't always gotten the attention or the credit. And we'll get into that and some famous historical examples after we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer... Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yeah, so let's get into history. Historically, a lot of horror written by women has been lost to time and not preserved in the same way male works were, of course. And many of these works were not discovered until long after the author's death, usually when a male writer of acclaim highlights the story. Some of these authors are believed to have literally starved to death. However, it was not all doom and gloom. <laughs> uh, a yeah. lot of women succeeded in the realm of writing horror, particularly gothic horror, as the genre emerged and gained popularity. And this popularity was only possible due to the introduction of new technologies that allowed for the printing of cheap magazines and newspapers to distribute these stories to a wider audience. And to fill these pages required a lot of stories. And in the early days, women were largely the ones providing these stories. It was an appealing career path for women who didn't have a lot of opportunities at the time. Uh, though the world of publishing was largely dominated by men, women could still get works published by writing under a gender-neutral or masculine-sounding pen name or anonymously or with a missus. So people knew you had a husband to keep you in line. You weren't mm -hmm. such a big threat. Um, and not to say that some women didn't do those things. It was just easier mm -hmm. to get published by doing those things. 
Not only that, strict genres weren't so much a thing yet. So there was a lot of freedom to try all kinds of stories. Like you could write a horror story one day and a romantic story the other day, and nobody really questioned, oh, you should stick to stick to your lane. <laughs> um, and these women did, uh, even within the horror genre. Ghosts, werewolves, vampires, banshees, cosmic terrors, mad scientists, dark, dread-inducing stories. Several of the horror stories written by women from this time did include feminine themes. Womanhood, social and class movements, feminism, domesticity, motherhood, uh, children, childlessness, and the self-worth of childless women. All of this stuff in these early horror stories. Examples include What Was the Matter by Elizabeth Stuart Phelps, The Dream Baby by Olivia Howard Dunbar, The Giant Wistaria by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, The Wind in the Rosebush by Mary Wilkins Freeman, Twilight by Marjorie Bowen, Transmigration by Dora Sigerson Shorter, and so, so, so many more. A lot of these are in the public domain, by the way, if you'd like to go check them out. At this time, most horror stories were written by women. The gothic genre owes its existence to women, and the audience was primarily women, too. In the early days of its existence, gothic horror was dismissed as essentially chiclet, which still problematic to dismiss chiclet. Yes. Neither is good. Neither is good. Mm-mm. So many of these women were able to support a family and fairly quickly by writing, especially in the wake of a loss of a husband who'd previously provided support. And Radcliffe, who wrote primarily gothic fiction, was a top-paid author in the 1790s. Her most famous work was a supernatural tale following a female protagonist in a castle called The Mysteries of Udolpho. Some considered this the first bestseller, which hmm, maybe that should be on our list. Most of her works did focus on dynamic, interesting female characters, which, of course, was a rarity for the time, which even is a rarity to this day. For some unknown reason, she stopped writing at the age of 32, and there are several probably untrue stories around her life and death, which is even better. Like, I'm like, how do you you not love that? Like, aura of mystery around her. So, from CUNY Brooklyn... Quote, little was or is known about Radcliffe's life, so not surprisingly, apocryphal stories sprang up about her. It was reported that she had gone mad as a result of her dreadful imagination and been confined to an asylum, that she had been captured as a spy in Paris, or that she ate rare pork chops before retiring to stimulate nightmares for her novels. And several times, she was falsely rumored to be dead. Sounds like a fascinating woman. I mean, why have we not talked about her? We talk about Emily Dickinson all the time with her pasts. Yeah, I want to know why why did people think she was a spy in Paris? That is such a stretch (laughs) from eating raw pork. To have nightmares. (laughs) And I also just love dreadful imagination. That's so good. That is so good. (laughs) But, okay, no history of women writing horror would be complete without mentioning Mary Shelley. In 1818, Shelley published Frankenstein, a novel that continues to influence our pop culture to this day. I was thinking about this. It had such a huge impact. Mm -hmm. You still, like, I still hear it mentioned, like, just recently I heard it on a, like, late-night talk show. And then I was thinking about um, Darth Vader in, uh, because of course, uh, in Revenge of the Sith and how when he comes to life, it's like Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. It's still mentioned, and it's still a popular costume. Like, it has lived, for sure. Oh, yeah. It lives! It lives! Oh, I'm (laughs) brand on that one. 
Shelley was 18 when she wrote this, and allegedly she wrote it in response to Lord Byron's ghost story challenge. So this is kind of a legendary tale in itself that after Rain kept Byron and Shelley inside with three other vacationing friends, uh, they told each other ghost stories. And then Byron was like, I challenge all of thee to write a scarier ghost story than these. And she and one other person uh, did. Um, The fact that this was written by a woman did cause, surprises no one, I'm sure, a fair share of controversy in its day. The British critic's 1818 review of the book claimed, quote, if our authoress can forget the gentleness of her sex, it is no reason why we should, and we shall therefore dismiss the novel without further comment. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Such dicks. Yeah, b- excellently said, Samantha. <laughs> so <laughs> verbose you are. Um, still, the book was successful and her- earned her the nickname The Mother of Horror, which is an excellent nickname. Mm-hmm. Many consider this the first science fiction novel, an epic pseudoscience tale about a monster destroying its creator. That fateful rainy day, by the way, also allegedly led to Paul Dory's The Vampire, or The Vampire, perhaps, in 1819, and the 1986 movie Gothic. And there's also the movie Mary Shelley, which Hulu keeps telling me I should watch. Is that I the one should. with Julia Roberts? There's probably more than one. This one, I think this one has Ellie Fanning. Oh, well, there's one with it's Julia recent. It's like Roberts 2013. Too. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Look at that. And I think Al Pacino. No, no, not Al Pacino. Robert De Niro is one of them, too. Wow. Girl. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in the 19th century, Irish writer Charlotte Riddle churned out several short stories and novellas, primarily about ghosts and haunted house. Originally, she published under masculine pen names like F.G. Trafford and R.V.M. Sparling, and she was quite prolific and popular at the time, and she started writing as a means to support her mother, which is even better. And we have Marie Corelli. She was a top-paid author in the 1890s. Writing was one avenue that women could receive pay equal to men's, particularly if their pen name was, again, anonymous or allowed people in some way to believe that they were men. Two women who turned to writing out of dire financial need later became some of the most well-known of the time, Charlotte Perkins Gilman and Frances Hodgson Burnett. And, and we can't forget two of my favorites, Emily and Charlotte Bronte, who uh, wrote Weathering Heights and Jane Eyre. And yes, read both of them. Jane Eyre is probably my favorite on top on the other hand, uh, but it's delightful and are classic examples of the Gothic pieces from this period. and Very haunting. Yes, yes. Lots of atmosphere. <laughs> So much atmosphere. Uh, I mean, with names like Heathcliff, come on. Um, And fires, so many fires. But anyway, people were really concerned about women reading this material. I think uh, it was mentioned in the fan fiction two-parter, right? Yeah, yeah. They were worried that it was giving us emotions. (laughs) So many emotions. (laughs) Um, In Jane Austen's 1817 work, Northanger Abbey mocked women's love of these books. I will say there was this weird... uh, Rival against the Bronte sisters in Austin, there was, because I love both of them. All of them. (laughs) I love all of them. Mm. (laughs) But she did mock the love of these books, with protagonist Catherine Moreland imagining all sorts of monsters thanks to reading too many horrid books and giving to her feminine curiosity. Uh, The idea slowly took hold that women were way too fragile for horror and gothic, of course, in a genre that had once been perceived as feminine was masculinized. The anxiety wasn't confined to women reading it, but to women writing it, as a lot of the themes, consciously or not, reflected anxiety around the patriarchy and were feminist in nature. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Oh, no, indeed. And there was also a layer of, um, oh, you poor thing. Yeah. Like, you're silly enough that you'll believe this. Yes. You're not, you're not smart enough to know that this isn't reality. Right. Ugh. The link between feminism and horror strengthened by the end of the 18th century, and women writers use their stories to critique society and push for social change, uh, particularly around issues like motherhood, health, and hysteria. Despite the plethora of examples of women's short stories, gothic novels written by men are what we remember from this period. I had a really hard time. Obviously, there are plenty of examples, but when I went to uh, just a page that was highlighting, I'd say probably 100, almost all of them were men, no joke. Right. Um, there are several reasons why this could be. Perhaps novels receive more respect and attention than short stories. Perhaps because these stories dealt with women's and social issues and thus were categorized as women's writing instead of gothic or heart, which again is a problem that remains to this day. But the point is, women were there at the very beginning and they were writing most of this. And then until society <laughs> was like, nope, that's not, that's not ladylike and men should do it. And now it's a respected genre because men are doing it. Right. And should be paid more for it, right? Yep. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's about our history. But we do have some more modern-day examples we wanted to share with you. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, unfortunately, in our more modern times, there are still more men writing horror than women, but there are women producing some amazing stuff. And this is slowly changing, that it's not super weird (laughs) that women are writing horror. Uh, And we thought we'd leave you with a few examples if you want to check them out. Uh, Starting with Shirley Jackson, who wrote uh, things like The Haunting of Hill House, which I know a lot of you are probably familiar with the Netflix show. Um, Daphne du Maurier, whose works were adapted into films 12 times, including several by Hitchcock, like The Birds, and Nicholas Roeg's Don't Look Now, which we mentioned in our uh, witches episode about (laughs) Hocus Pocus and the witches. (laughs) Um, Joyce Carol Oates, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author who has written over 100 books. Right. Of course, Octavia Butler, who you love. Yeah? I love Octavia Butler. Yes. Uh, It's one of the few times... Well, no, that's not true at all. I was going to say it's one of the few times that an assigned book became one of my favorite books. I've actually generally liked every book I've been assigned to read. But I was assigned to read some of her books in college, her science fiction books, and I loved them, and I still love them to this day. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and she has a lot of horror in her science fiction, which I do feel like go hand-in-hand oftentimes. Um, And she frequently addressed the horrors of systemic racism in her work, which is awesome, as it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Asana Nami, author of things like The Body, and Now You're One of Us. Uh, Lisa mm-hmm. Tuttle, which, by the way, I thought you were saying Lisa Turtle, and I was really caught up in Saved by the <laughs> Bell. Anyway, <laughs> Lisa Tuttle, an 80s horror fiction writer who also wrote Encyclopedia of Feminism. Yeah. Which we might need to read. Yeah. Then there's Linda Addison, who in 2001 became the first black woman to be awarded the Bram Stoker Award for her work Consumed, Reduced to Beautiful Gray Ashes. And in 2017, the Horror Writers Association chose her for their Lifetime Achievement Award, which is, in the horror world, that's like the top. Yeah. 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 Um, Also, I'm just going to put out there, I tried to get to the bottom of, I don't know, have you heard the rumor that Bram Stoker didn't really write Dracula, but a woman did? Yes, actually I did. Um, I tried to get to the bottom of that, and I could not find the answer. But uh, we are aware of it. Right. There's also, like, the rumor—well, not the rumor that, yes, he did write it, but because it was legend and had already been there, that there were other rights that he took from. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we mentioned it—oh, gosh, that feels like centuries ago in our uh, serial killer episode, Mm -hmm. because we talked about kind of the inspiration around it, and there was a woman behind that. Right. but anyway, uh, there's also Karma, Carmen Maria Machado, author of Her Body and Other Parties. Um, and then there's Tanana Reeve Du, who on top of writing horror, also teaches classes on it, including a, a UCLA class called The Sunken Place, Racism, Survival, and Black Horror Aesthetic. We need her on the show. Sounds awesome. Um, and then there's Helen Oyeyemi, author of things like White is for Witching and Icarus Girl. Right. And I guess we should put in there Anne Rice because, yes, she did write many of the vampire series. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's one of the probably more popular ones because of those vampire series as, you know, Tom mm-hmm. Cruise and Brad Pitt comes together to seduce <laughs> Kristen Stewart. I don't remember. <laughs> you no, know, Kirsten Dunst. Oh, <laughs> uh, whatever. See, there's so many vampire movies. And I love vampire genres. Please don't hate me. Uh, so, but yeah, Kristen Dunst, there it is, and her young self. But yeah, so we have to put her in there because she did. She 
definitely create a whole level of sexy. Sexy vampire? Well, no. I mean, vampires have always been sexualized. But in this level, when you have (laughs) iconic stars like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt Pitt Mm. playing the main characters, you can't help Mm. but notice. (laughs) Right? No? Okay. I'm going to stop now. I've never read an Anne Rice book. Um, But I would, I mean, I would definitely say she would be one of the first that if you were trying to list popular horror writers... People would think of her um, a first woman, I would say, a lot of times. Yeah. And she did do a lot to popularize, specifically, uh, vampire horror. She has a whole <laughs> series. Yep. Um, for all the older examples we mentioned, most, if not all of them, are featured in the book Weird Women, Classic Supernatural Fiction by Groundbreaking Female Writers, 1852 to 1923, by Leslie S. Klinger and Lisa Morton. So... You can go check that out too. And I, I'm so happy. I feel like I have a whole repertoire of books I want to check out yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. I know when we were talking again about our monthly reading, you're like, I have a whole list. I think we should read one of these. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was reading the um, the synopses for a lot of these and everyone, I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I think they're good and original for sure. I got to do it. I got to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, and, and for this one, since it is October, we thought we would close out with a, a reading. Oh, Annie, what have you done to us? A dramatic reading. Oh, it's a dramatic? Okay, here we go. Yeah, um, it's going to so be very dramatic. So we are going to read from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So go yes. ahead and light your candle, sit in the dark, and here we go. Is that how we start? <laughs> yes. It was on a dreary night of November that I beheld the accomplishments of my toils. With an anxiety that almost amounted to agony, I collected the instruments of life around me that I might infuse a spark of being into the lifeless thing that lay at my feet. It was already one in the morning. The rain pattered dismally against the panes, and my candle was nearly burnt out. When, by the glimmer of the half-extinguished light, I saw the dull yellow eye of the creature open. It breathed hard, and a convulsive motion agitated its limbs. How can I describe my emotions at this catastrophe, or how delineate the wretch whom with such infinite pains and care I had endeavored to form? His limbs were in proportion, and I had selected his features as beautiful. Beautiful! Great God! His yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was of a lustrous black and flowing, his teeth of a pearly whiteness, but these luxuriances only formed a more horrid contrast with his watery eyes that seemed almost of the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set, his shriveled complexion and straight black lips. The different accidents of life are not so changeable as the feelings of human nature. I had worked hard for nearly two years for the sole purpose of infusing life into an inanimate body. For this, I had deprived myself of rest and health. I had desired it with an ardor that far exceeded moderation. But now that I had finished, the beauty of the dream vanished, and breathless horror and disgust filled my heart. Unable to endure the aspect of the being I had created, I rushed out of the room and continued a long time traversing my bedchamber, unable to compose my mind to sleep. At length, lassitude succeeded to the tumult I had believed endured, and I threw myself on the bed in my clothes, endeavoring to seek a few moments of forgetfulness. But it was in vain. I slept indeed, but I was disturbed by the wildest dreams. I thought I saw Elizabeth in the bloom of health, walking in the streets of Ingolstadt. 
Delighted and surprised, I embraced her, but as I imprinted the first kiss on her lips, they became livid with the hue of death. Her features appeared to change, and I thought that I had held the corpse of my dead mother in my arms. A shroud enveloped her form, and I saw grave worms crawling in the folds of the flannel. I started from my sleep with horror. A cold dew covered my forehead. My teeth chattered, and every limb became convulsed. When, by the dim and yellow light of the moon, as it forced its way through the window shutters, I beheld the wretch, the miserable monster whom I had created. He held up the curtain of the bed, and his eyes, if eyes they may be called, were fixed on me. His jaws opened, and he muttered some inarticulate sounds, while a grin wrinkled his cheeks. He might have spoken, but I did not hear. One hand was stretched out, seemingly to detain me, but I escaped and rushed downstairs. I took refuge in the courtyard belonging to the house which I inhabited, where I remained during the rest of the night, walking up and down in the greatest agitation, listening attentively, catching and fearing each sound as if it were to announce the approach of the demonical corpse to which I had so miserably given life. Oh, no mortal could support the horror of that countenance. A mummy again endued with animation could not be so hideous as that wretch. I had gazed on him while unfinished. He was ugly then, but when these muscles and joints were rendered capable of motion, it became a thing such as even Dante could not have conceived. I passed the night wretchedly. Sometimes my pulse beat so quickly and hardly that I felt the palpitation of every artery. At others, I nearly sank to the ground through languor and extreme weakness. Mingled with this horror, I felt the bitterness of disappointment. Dreams that had been my food and pleasant rest for so long a space were now become a hell to me. And the change was so rapid, the overthrow so complete. Finn. <laughs> <laughs> applause, applause, Samantha. I remember reading this in my ninth or 10th grade AP English class and loving, loving, because we did um, literature. Yeah. Uh, European literature as our AP English class, I think. And uh, I loved this book and loved everything about this book because it was so different. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I still love Jane Austen. I still love the Bronte <laughs> sisters. But this one was unique in itself. It was so, yeah. it was so small. <laughs> it was a short yeah. read, but it mm -hmm. was perfect. I like how it's structured, too, with uh, different, like, there's letters being written to different people. Right. And the point of view switches. Um, and yes, this is in the public domain. Uh, so if you would like to read it, uh, you absolutely can. And uh, we hope that that gave you a little taste of something spooky for the season. If you have any horror book suggestions or short stories or whatever, please send them our way. Our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Happy Halloween. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, 
host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.